Well, do pull out your message outline. You'll find it uh, helpful to have that there open so you can see where we're heading this morning. As uh, we're in this uh, series, we're in part six of this series called Persons of Interest. And uh, as I've been saying every week, the person of interest, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the most significant person in all of history who has ever existed and will ever exist. And what we're doing in this series is we're kind of tracking along with the Gospel writer John as he himself journeys with Jesus. Now, when it comes to God, and maybe you can relate to this, there's something in all of us that's like, well, if, um, if God would just do something spectacular one time that I saw, then, um, well, then maybe I would have bigger faith, or I ha- might have more faith, or I would understand better, or, or I would, in fact, put my faith in God. And I wonder if God thinks, okay, um, well, like what then? Like, what do you want me to do? Like, create a rock large enough for you to live on and fine-tune everything about it and everything around it so it sustains life and stands in stark contrast to all the other floating rocks in the universe? What what if I did that? Oh, wait a minute, I've already done that. And we're like, no, 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 this ain't really amazing. Um, Really amazing. Okay, um, uh, how about this then? says God, how, how about a 576 megapixel camera? How about I give you two of them and I put them on the front of your head? And how about that I connect them to a 3,000 gigahertz computer with enough memory for you to pass knowledge down from generation to generation to generation? Ah, uh, yeah, I've already done that as well. How about this little trick then? While the speaker is speaking, and before he can finish this sentence, 50,000 cells in your body are going to die and be replaced by new ones before we can even finish the sentence. And it does that with no conscious effort on your part whatsoever. Now, of course, I could keep going, but all of those things are true, aren't they? And what is our response? No, 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 Lord, we want you to do something, we want you to do something truly spectacular, um, like a miraculous healing. That would just prove it. That would just prove that you are who you say you are. To which God may think, and it's probably not smart to put words into God's mouth, but I think he may think, okay, well, um, thanks to that 3,000 gigahertz computer that all of you are carrying around, you are able to miraculously heal most diseases yourself. I didn't just heal people. I created a species of self-healers. In fact, if people from 2,000 years ago showed up and visited a modern hospital, they would think the doctors are gods. Now, I say all of that just to kind of log that away in your mind, and hopefully that will become clear a little bit later on. As I said, we're in part six of this series called Person of Interest. And we're following along with the Gospel writer John as he journeys with Jesus. And John is giving us this account that he wants us to know about Jesus. And he's an old man when he writes this. He gives us this account of his time with Jesus. And he organises his, his, his entire account around what he calls signs. Seven signs, in fact. They are the seven signs that are evidence that point to simply not just what Jesus did, but they point to who Jesus actually was. And he documents all of this so that future generations will know about Jesus, will know the story of Jesus. And John has an agenda. And his agenda is this. He doesn't just want us to know what happened. His agenda is that we would be convinced that Jesus is who he claimed he was. In fact, 
He has an agenda for you and he has an agenda for me. He has an agenda for every generation that would follow and here is his agenda. And I've said this every week but it's worth reminding you again and again and again because he tells us at the end of his gospel in John 20 verse 31, he says, but these things are written. The ones that I chose to write because I didn't cover everything that Jesus did, just these ones, these ones I chose to cover were written that you may believe. I want you to respond to this. Not just go, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. I want you to believe. Specifically, he says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I want you to be convinced that he is actually, he is the actual unique Son of God. And I don't want you to simply believe that it is true. Once you believe that it is true, I would place your trust in him. I want you to put your faith in him. I want you to give your life to him. And that by placing your trust in him and deciding to follow him, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So he has this agenda. And he organises this incredible account around these events that he calls signs. And so today we come to the sixth sign. And John outlines this in such a way that we might follow along in this narrative that we read a moment or so ago. And we may come to the conclusion and say, well, wow, John, you're, you're right. Jesus is who he claimed to be. And if you have a Bible, it's worth opening it up to that page, that, uh, that uh, healing. Uh, and you might see in your Bible the heading something like this, Jesus heals a man born blind. So let me catch up where we are, kind of just to where we are in the kind of life of Jesus and where he is travelling around, and then we'll jump into this narrative. Because you see, Jesus, what he does, he travels throughout his ministry up and down, north and south, south and north, from Judea to Galilee, back to Judea to Galilee to Judea, and so on and so forth. Now in Judea, he's usually in danger because this is where Jerusalem is and this is where the Jewish temple leaders are and they are not fans of Jesus. And they're a, they're a little bit put out, actually. They're a little bit put out, first of all, by John the Baptist and then by Jesus because they contradict or they seem to contradict basically everything that they believed. And they're stirring up the people and they don't want the people stirred up because if the people get stirred up, then Rome gets stirred up. And if Rome gets stirred up, then there's trouble. There are problems. So Jesus will go to Jerusalem and then what he'll do is he'll kind of stir things up for a little bit and then he'll go back to Galilee, he'll take a breather, he'll do some teaching, some miracles, stuff like that, and then he'll come back again and stir things up once again. So let's look at this event, this sixth sign, and it's a fascinating healing because it deals with not just the physical but also the spiritual. And it's all about spiritually seeing or not. And the first thing I want you to see is this, to be able to see I must break through either or thinking. What either or thinking does is it traps us. And we see this play out in this event. In fact, Jesus is going to smash through this kind of thinking. He shows us that there is another way, that there is another option to think about, a whole other category. Now, in this particular part of Jesus' journey, he's back now in the area of Jerusalem, and John is with him, and John says, now here's what happens, John 9 verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, and I'm sure they whispered this, Rabbi, you see, that, you see that gentleman over there uh, begging? Uh, he's there all the time. Um, we're, we're curious. Who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. 
which you might think that's a strange question, but the assumption was in the first century that this was, uh, there was a kind of cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. If somebody is suffering, it is because they sinned. So in some sense, they were getting what they deserved, which obviously had an interesting relationship with, the, with compassion or the kind of compassion that was shown to people who were suffering if you believed that they were suffering due to some past sin. But the way they thought about it is like this. For example, they thought that, um, uh, say, a pregnant woman would go into a pagan temple with her son or daughter. Once they were born, they would suffer because of the mum's disobedience by going into a pagan temple. So because it's a pregnant one and they were there at the time, they therefore are tired with the same brush. That's the idea. So they had all this mystery and, and all this superstition. And now we know that sometimes our behaviour results in suffering. That is true, isn't it? If we do something, sometimes we can cause problems in our lives. And we also know that sometimes we suffer because of other people's behaviour. When someone does something, it can affect us. Of course, we know that. But when that's the case, it's usually obvious, isn't it? And when it's not obvious, and Jesus is about to point this out, there is no connection whatsoever between sin and suffering. So Jesus shifts their paradigm at what he says next. Verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. And they're thinking completely wrong about all of this. And then he says something that may create a new category for you. And you may think it's insensitive for me to say this, but I promise I would not say this if Jesus didn't say this. And I'm only quoting Jesus here. This is what Jesus says. He says, but this happened, this, being, this man being born blind, but this happened so that... And Jesus teaches here and in other places that pain can have a purpose. That pain and suffering can actually have a divine purpose. Perhaps pain and suffering always has a purpose. Jesus' pain and suffering certainly did. This man's pain and suffering certainly did. And maybe your pain and suffering has a purpose as well. We know it's a category, but Jesus continues here. But this happened, in other words, this man isn't being, his, isn't being punished, his parents aren't being punished, but this particular pain and suffering or episode of pain and suffering happened so that, and then he gives us the so that, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. In other words... Sometimes God chooses to display his power on the stage of our pain and our suffering. And I'm sure you've seen that before. You've seen someone whose response to their pain and suffering was so extraordinary. It caused your faith to just get bigger. I mean, I've seen that. As a pastor, I've seen all kinds of things, as you might imagine. And the most extraordinary things to me in my own kind of personal Christian life are not the people who live wrinkle-free lives. You know, their kids all get degrees, everybody lives to be 99, and they all die in their sleep. That's not impressive, is it? What's impressive to me, certainly, is a man or a woman or a child or a family or an individual that goes through an extremely difficult time and their faith is rock solid. 
You've seen God demonstrate his power on the stage of human weakness and suffering, as I have, I'm sure. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and they are focused now on this blind man. They're kind of whispering about him. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, he says, hey guys, look, verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. To which they thought, see, now that's what you do, Jesus. We're talking about one thing and now you're talking about something completely different. We're talking about why this man is blind. And now, what, what are you on about now, Jesus? Jesus goes on. He says, while, this is so important, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And here's his point. In fact, this is the point of John's Gospel. He says, look, guys, listen, look. My identity, who I truly am, will never be more apparent than it is right now. The light of the world, me, the light of the world will never be brighter than it is right now while I am here on planet Earth. And when I leave, it will be dark. And when I leave, it will be dark indeed. So gentlemen, he would say, watch me, learn from me, and believe. Verse 6, having said this, and then Jesus does the strangest thing. He spat on the ground and before they could go, hey, hey, Jesus, we, we don't do that kind of thing close to the temple, what, what you, we know, he made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Now, I wish we had more details, don't you? But we don't, do we? I mean, did he ask him first? I mean, did he say, um, Peter and John, hold him down uh, while I do this? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I've got to imagine that the 12 disciples had to be in the background watching this and going, Oh, that's a bit gross, Jesus. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we don't stop and imagine what it must have been like. I mean, these were real guys. I mean, these were fishermen, weren't they? These guys, I mean, they just have to be in the background, don't they? Just kind of cracking up as they see this going on, don't they? But, but this is odd. This is strange, isn't it? And we don't have any more details. Now, moving on, the second thing to notice is, to be able to see, I must obey what Jesus tells me to do. Because the, the story continues, you see. Jesus spits, he makes mud with his saliva, he puts it on the guy's eyes, and then he says something to him that we've, uh, that we've heard him tell other people. He says something that actually he tells our whole generation. He says to this man who was born blind, verse 7, Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man, now, now this is a foreshadowing. This is John's whole point. This is why he chose this event. So the blind man walks by faith, not by sight, literally. Went and washed and came home seeing. You know what he did? He did what God would like for you to do. He chose to trust someone he could not see based on the rumours about that person. At the end of John's Gospel, we're going to talk about this when we get there, but Jesus says this in John 20 verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So the blind man went to the pool of Siloam, he did what Jesus said and he washed his eyes and suddenly he could see. And therefore, thirdly, to be able to see, I must look past what others cannot see. 
blind man has been healed. He can now see. Well, where did he go? Well, obviously, he went home. Verse 8, his neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, well, wait a minute, <laughs> isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg in the same place every single day, every single week, every single year? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, no, that can't be him. He only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. No, no, it's me. I'm the guy that used to sit there begging all that time and I know I look a little bit different because now I can see and I'm walking differently and my stick's gone. And of course they asked the question anybody would ask, well how? Verse 10, how then were your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, here's what happened. Verse 11, he replied, the man they call Jesus, we've heard of this man, uh, we've heard some rumours, some of you said you've seen him, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. I, I guess he didn't know that he had made, how he, I guess he didn't know how he made the mud, maybe that's better for him to not know, maybe, I don't know. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, and I did. I did what he asked me to do, even though it made absolutely no sense. So I went and washed, and then I could see. And of course, they're curious, aren't they? Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he asked. He said. I didn't see which way he went, Sherlock. I don't know. So they did what they were supposed to do based on the old covenant or the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. When someone was miraculously healed, this is what you had to do. When someone was miraculously healed or it seemed like somebody was going to be able to come back into society after being healed of a disease, you had to then take them to the religious leaders. They were to present themselves to the religious leaders as it, as it were to kind of bring him back to society. So what they do, they take him to the Pharisees, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. And then the music changes. Then the soundtrack changes. Verse 14. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. He's done it again, hasn't he? I mean, when will he learn? See, let me remind you, according to the tradition of the elders, according to the oral, not the written Torah, you weren't allowed to do certain things on the Sabbath. And get this, one of the things you, that you couldn't do was mix. You couldn't need... You couldn't make bread, in other words. You couldn't mix things. You couldn't knead. And because Jesus took spit and mud and he mixed them and he kneaded it together, he broke the Sabbath. And also you weren't supposed to heal or do medicine on the Sabbath either because unless it was to save a life. So he's in big trouble once again. Verse 15, Therefore the Pharisees, when they found out what happened, also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed. And now he's probably violated the Sabbath as well. And now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, talking about Jesus, is not from God. How do you know that? Well, it's obvious, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Well, technically, he didn't keep their version of the Sabbath. Technically, he didn't really break any of God's written law. But what happened was, Jesus didn't fit in their God box, did he? And whether you recognise it or not, maybe all of us, maybe even those of you who don't believe in God, we ha all have a God box. A kind of version of what we think God is like. 
and we put God in our kind of safe box and go, that's what God is like. And yet Jesus is operating outside the boundaries of the so-called God box. Therefore, these Pharisees say, he cannot possibly be from God, verse 16, but others, and they ask a very important question, but others ask, wait a minute, wait a minute, how can a sinner, if he's not from God then, he's like one of us and the rest of us are sinners, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? Not a miracle, a sign. Remember John says these were all pointing to the identity of Jesus, so they were divided. Verse 17, finally they turned again to the blind man who's still standing there. What have you to say about him? Is he a sinner or isn't he? It it was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight. They think he's making his whole thing up until they sent for the man's parents. And so what they then do is they then bring in the man's parents and the man's parents are afraid because when you get called in by the Pharisees on the Sabbath, you've probably done something wrong. Verse 19. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Look, he's old enough to tell you himself. He's old enough to stand in court. He's old enough to testify for himself. Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ will be put out of the synagogue. So his parents were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had, and here's where some of us are, who had already decided. Had already decided about Jesus. They had already made up their minds. There was no room in their theology, there was no room in their worldview for what they were seeing, for what they were experiencing, for what was happening right before their very eyes. They had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah will be put out of the synagogue, will be ostracised from the community. The word we might use is excommunicated, from first century Judaism, from temple Judaism. The religious leaders, like some of us, let's be honest, the religious leaders, they were the ones who were blind. They were actually blinded by their presuppositions. They were blinded by their assumptions. In fact, it was a willful blindness. When there's something to see but you won't look, that's what willful blindness is. When there's something to discover and you won't take the time to discover it. When the cognitive bias that just allows you to only take in the information that affirms and confirms what you believe or you think is right. When the confirmation bias where you take the information that kind of confirms what you already believe and you refuse to acknowledge anything that might pull you out of your context that might cause you to think outside of your if you're a Christian or even if you're not a Christian outside of your so-called God box. But they're still not done with this guy, are they? They're not finished with him yet. Look, verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. That's what they're kind of saying. They said, we know this man is a sinner. Okay, so look, you were blind. We get that. We've gotten that far. 
uh, we've asked your parents, so something has happened, but clearly this Jesus man had nothing to do with it, so give glory to God, because this man is a sinner, and sinners could not perform such a sign. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. Look, I don't know everything, he says. But here's the thing, I don't have to. I don't have to understand everything to believe something. I don't have to be able to explain everything to believe what's right before my very eyes. I don't have to be able to explain how everything worked out and why it worked out to know that something has happened. I I don't have to understand everything to believe something. And here's the good news. Neither do you. And maybe this is where you've been hung up. And I understand this. You want to understand everything before you believe anything. And I get this, I'm kind of wired a bit like that. But here's the thing that you and I have in common. Isn't it true that you and I don't hold to this standard in other areas of life? I mean, do you believe in love? Can you explain it? Do you believe in energy? Well, I know you can't explain that. Do you believe in consciousness? Well, we can't explain that either. Here's the big one. Uh, Do you believe in information? Yeah, yeah, I believe in information. Do you use information? Yeah, all the time. Can you explain it? Not really. Same with energy, same with consciousness, same with love. And here's some great news, because I know some of you would love, would love to come to faith, but your brain won't let you. Your mind won't let you. Some of you, and I know this for a fact, you stand on the outside looking in and you think, okay, I'd like some of that, but I've got to understand absolutely everything about the Christian faith. I've got to understand everything in the Bible. I've got to know everything that I need to know before I believe anything. But you don't hold yourself to that standard to any other area of life. And your Heavenly Father, who's way bigger than your God box, says, look, listen, just take a baby step. Just take a baby step and believe something. And along the way, you'll understand more. Because you'll journey with me. You'll build a relationship with me. And I'll show you more things as we walk together. Well, the story continues. The young man, he's getting bold now. He's kind of fed up, really, isn't he, with this whole thing. Verse 25, he replies, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. Okay, look, let's just start with what I do know. I can't answer all your questions. I don't know if he's a sinner. Don't ask me theological questions. Here's what I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Let me go over that again for you guys. I was blind, but now I see. And here's the incredible thing. This is the story of millions and millions and millions of Christians. For many of you, this is your story too. You might say something like this. You might say, look, I I can't explain it all. I don't understand it all. Uh, All I know is this. There was a a season in my life when I was at the end of myself, when I had hit a wall, and uh, there was a season in my life when I'd come to an end and I had no place to go or nowhere else to go, and I I cried out to God, and I asked God to... to, uh, I, I got on my knees. I asked God, I invited Jesus Christ into my life, and I can't explain it all. I knew enough to know I needed Jesus, but I can't explain everything to you. 
I can't show you all these different verses to prove this and that and all that sort of stuff, but I can tell you this. Something happened. And for some of you, it happened instantaneously. And for some of you, it happened gradually. But something happened. And you were blind, but now you see. And you've never been the same since. And when people hear your story, you acknowledge there are some gaps and you say, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how it lines up with that. And I'm just telling you, I would not go back to where I was for anything. And only by the grace of the living, gracious God who has invited me to call him Father, am I where I am today. And all I know was this. I was blind. I was blind spiritually. But now I can see. Well, verse 26, they're still not done. They, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They want more reasons to not believe. That's why they're asking these questions. And now this guy is done. He answered, I have, all, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he kind of gets right up into their face, I reckon. Do you want to become his disciples too? He's like, done, isn't he? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And there this guy is just all up in their face. Verse 30, the man answered, now that is remarkable. I mean, he healed me today. That's remarkable. But here's something even more remarkable than that. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Isn't it obvious where he comes from? How much more evidence do you need to know that he came from God? Somebody who's not from God could not open the eyes of a man born blind. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this I replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. In other words, you deserve to be born blind. You deserved exactly what you got. You were steeped, you were conceived in sin. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Willful blindness, refusing to look, refusing to see what can be seen. That's what willful blindness is. Willful blindness is refusing to look, refusing to see what can be seen. Refusing to discover what can be discovered. Being too afraid to turn around and look beyond what we already know into the unknown. And let's just be honest for all of us here, that's not flattering to anyone, is it? That doesn't look good on anyone. And Christians, we are certainly not immune here. Sometimes our resistance is to people who aren't like us. Our resistance is to people who don't fit. They don't fit the kind of in the box of what we have always been taught is acceptable to God. And what happens on the other side of that is instead of expressing compassion to them, instead of reaching out to them and seeking to encourage them, we express disdain. Doesn't our unwillingness to look beyond our God box make us look a little bit like religious leaders in this story? Sometimes we're more like them than we think, aren't we? And if you've limited God to the God of the box, 
then you run the risk of leaving outside the context of your spirituality many people that God does, in fact, love. And not only that, here's the worst thing. You will ultimately miss God. We should be, if we are Christians, we should be the most loving, the most compassionate people in any room that we enter. We should be the most excited about creating context for people who are far from God to move towards God. And any step anyone takes towards God, whether it fits in our little box or not, should excite us. Even if they don't get the words right, even if they don't get the theology right, even if they don't pray right, if we don't move beyond the God in the box, like the men in this story, here's the great tragedy. We run the risk of missing God. Now, if you're not a Christian, here's the thing for you. Have you looked? Are you afraid to look? Are you curious? Have you looked lately? Have you closed the door on the concept of God? Have you closed the door on the fact that Jesus might be in fact who Jesus claimed to be? Have you closed the door on the concept of a physical, literal resurrection 2,000 years ago? And here's the question, is that really wise? And is it possible you have a God box as well? And anything that doesn't immediately fit, you you immediately discount, and perhaps that's why you've walked away from accepting Christ. In fact, the truth is, God is a whole lot bigger than our little itty-bitty box. In fact, perhaps God is bigger than you thought he was. Because I think we would agree with this, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong about something, because we're all wrong about a lot of things, aren't we? I mean... Every 10 years, you look back and you go, oh, no, that's embarrassing, right? I mean, look what you wore 10 years ago. Those of you who lived through the 70s, shame on you. But you look back and you go, oh, no, what I thought, that, that was embarrassing. So it's okay to be wrong, and it's okay not to know because we're learning, we're developing. But could we all agree on this? It is not okay not to look if there's something to be seen. And John's entire message throughout the gospel was simply this. There is something you should see. If you had seen what I saw, if you had seen what we saw, I'm convinced, he would say, we're convinced that you too would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. Here's what I think he would say. He would say, look, I'm a simple man, I I was a fisherman, I was minding my own business when he came along. I was just an eyewitness who had the privilege, I had the privilege to live in the days when the light of the world touched down in this world and it was unbelievably bright. And it was so much better and he was so much bigger than any of us thought he was. And the biggest discovery of all, I think he would tell us, is this, he so loved the world that he gave himself so that no one would ever be lost to God. And that took us all by surprise. And when he died, we assumed that he had been, we had been fooled and we had been tricked and it was all over. But then he rose from the dead and we realised 
He's exactly who he claimed to be. And wow, this, this thing was so much bigger than we thought it was. The good news is this. You do not have to understand everything to believe something. So would you consider the invitation of John and just look and perhaps one day believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the saviour, and that you would accept his invitation to follow him. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for these amazing stories that are contained in the Gospel of John. Thank you that they are not just there to inform us, but they're there for a reason, to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. That he truly is the light of the world, and that by believing him, we will have life in his name. Lord, as we, in a moment, meet around the Lord's table, would you encourage us, speak to us, and remind us of the amazing work, the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ through his death and his resurrection. In his name we pray. Amen.